Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Let's talk about marriage. Till death do us part? Really? We're beginning a new series this week here at Cross Culture Church. It's a series of messages about marriage. Two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster. However, when that roof, that home underneath that roof is founded on the truth of God's Word, that marriage can be one of the most beautiful things in all of God's creation. How do, how do we actually do this until death do us part? Well, let's find out. Here's Pastor Clay. Really? Till death do us part? That's the title of this series that we're going to be in for the next five weeks or so, depending on how far we get each week. But, you know, it's, it's been a while since I did a marriage series. It's been a, a, at least, I think, three or four years since I did a marriage series. And I just felt like it was time to maybe address that issue again, go back through that again, because I don't know about, you know, for those of you out there that are married, I don't know about you, but, you know, Cindy and I have discovered that marriage can be tough at times. Uh, marriage can be a, a struggle. Marriage can be hard. <laughs> right? Man, are there, are there, can't anybody shake your head or say amen or say, jeez, thought I was really in trouble. And, and so uh, uh, virtually nothing probably that I will share today uh, it may be new to you if you if you've studied the Word of God for long, or if you've been here for previous marriage series. Uh, you know, but it's just good to go back again and look at um, at the truth of God's Word and and how to apply it to our lives, especially in the area of marriage, because marriage is hard sometimes. I, I've said this for years. Some of you have heard me say this to you, uh, perhaps in a counseling session. Two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster. I mean, it, it really is. But yet, God has given us this thing called marriage and, uh, and given us instructions on how to do it because two imperfect people living under the same roof, when that roof, that, 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 that home underneath that roof is founded on the truth of God's word, that marriage can be one of the most beautiful things in, in all of God's creation. And that's where we want to get, right? Now, you may be here and uh, you're not married or you've been married and, and, and now you're divorced or widowed or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but, I, but I pray that, that as we walk through this over the next several weeks that there's truth that you can apply to your life and, and uh, in, in your relationships and, and all that sort of thing. But, uh, but addressing this issue of marriage is something very important. You know, you guys have heard me say this or you've heard the statistics that uh, the, the, the divorce rate, the failure rate of marriages uh, inside the church is just as high or even slightly higher than the failure rate outside of the church, non-church people. Uh, in other words, those who would profess to be followers of Jesus uh, are seeing their marriages crumble at the same rate of people who don't claim to have a relationship with Jesus. So, so something's wrong, right? There's a disconnect somewhere. We've got to, get, we've got to work on some of that stuff and, and see how that uh, uh, plays out. So we're going to look at um, 
A couple of ideas this morning about the reason for marriage. I felt like that was a good place to start. We may or may not get all the way through it. We will see. All right, open your Bibles um, to uh, Genesis chapter uh, 2. We're going to be in Genesis 1 a little bit in a few moments as well. But I want to read this morning Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. I hear, oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you, my brother. Great vacation. Great vacation. It really really was a great, great time. Y'all know I'm, I, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't show my enthusiasm as much as perhaps some other people do, as much as my wife would like me to. Is that something I need to work on? My marriage need to be, need to be more, act like I'm really enjoying myself, because uh, I, I really am. But great, great vacation. Hung out with my wife, and that was awesome. I, I didn't, no, I mean, I really meant that. I, I wasn't trying to, was not, that was not a funny. It was not a funny. I don't know why they're laughing, baby. I I had a great, great time with my wife. See, there it is. I got, I got to be more enthusiastic. I had a great time with my wife. It was incredible. It was amazing. It was awesome. What is it about us guys? We just, we have a problem. We have a problem, don't we? Expressing our enthusiasm about, you no, know, we can express our enthusiasm about some basketball team winning a national championship or not. But we, we need to do that. That's, that's something we need to do. So it was, it was great. Great vacation. Got a new watch. That was a great vacation, too. That was just, that was good, too. And a new guitar, but that's a whole other story. Never mind. <laughs> uh, are you in Genesis chapter 2? I heard some pages open. Some of y'all are going hard copy today. That sounds beautiful. Genesis chapter 2, where are we beginning? What verse? All right, good job. Here we go. Uh, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib of which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, this morning as we look at, uh, at a very important text, uh, not only about your creation, but about your creation of this gift uh, called marriage. It, it is not easy, but it is wonderful. I pray that as we look at your word today and in the weeks to come, as we look at different subject matters uh, in regards to marriage, that you would open our hearts and our minds, soften our spirits, uh, maybe in this room or those who will be listening, maybe there's someone who, who's just angry or, or bitter at their spouse, maybe someone who uh, uh, just struggling with, uh, with finding uh, what they know they should have toward their spouse, whatever the case may be, I pray that you would break down our hard hearts because ultimately, Lord God, it's, it's, there's not a problem with what your word says. There's not a problem with what you want us to do, uh, but there certainly can be a problem 
uh, with our hearts. And so I pray that as we look at your word, uh, that marriages and future marriages would be strengthened and equipped to, uh, as I say a lot of times uh, when regarding marriage, to not just to survive, but to actually thrive. Uh, that's, that's the marriage that, that we, the body, the church, that's the marriage that we should be displaying to the world around us. So help us uh, to do that, not in our own strength, because we will fail miserably, but in your power, indeed, in your power. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, a couple of, couple of reasons, whether we get through it all or not, I don't, we'll, we'll see. We'll come back to it next week if we can. Um, by the way, you like our, our backgrounds? Yeah, that cool? Yeah? John and Amber uh, put that together for us, did a, a great job. So um, let, let's start with the first reason here this morning we're going to start with. Here, here it is. The reason for marriage is procreational. <laughs> All right. Do you notice how close, you ever notice how close the sounds, woo, and whoa, are? The reason for marriage is procreational. Now, uh, Genesis chapter 2 that I just read, uh, it covers more detail, goes more in depth uh, about the creation. Genesis 2 in, as a whole goes more in depth uh, about the creation of man and God's purposes and plans uh, for man. And we'll look at that in a few moments uh, in the context of marriage, but I want it to begin with this idea this morning that the reason for marriage is procreational. And to do that, I want to look at Genesis chapter 1. So flip, flip your Bibles over one, uh, one chapter, Genesis chapter 1 and just verse uh, 28. And it says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Part of the reason for marriage is procreational. It was God's plan from the very beginning that that mankind, the ultimate uh, achievement of his creation, uh, that mankind, created in his image, would, would rule over, would oversee, would manage his creation. It is not ours. It has never been ours. It has never belonged to us. We are caretakers of it. And part of God's in, intention is that we would manage, we would oversee. We would have the privilege of enjoying God's creation and protecting God's creation and managing God's creation. And included in that is this biblical command to be fruitful and multiply. Procreation, to have children. It is part of God's intent that marriage is the foundation, the, the home in which uh, children can be raised in a way that they would know and honor and seek to love and serve uh, this same God that, that we would want to. Marriage provides the, this, this place where children can be brought up in a way that they come to fear the Lord in, in, in that biblical sense, that they come to uh, understand what it is to honor him and to serve him and want to uh, love him the way that God would desire for them to love him, that they could have a relationship with him the way hopefully their parents would have a relationship with them. Be fruitful and multiply. It is part of the reason. And, and listen, certainly 
Okay, we know this is true, right? Certainly, uh, our, our culture has shown us that, that you, don't, you don't have to be married to procreate. You don't have to be married to have children. Uh, approximately 40% of all children born in America today are born out of wedlock. But every single study that has been done has shown that children raised in a home where they have a loving mother and father, preferably a godly, loving mother and father, that those children tend to be happier and healthier uh, in life, as a general rule. Now, I just said that, that was awesome. I don't know what it was, but that was awesome. Anyway, I just said that, that it, uh, virtually every study has been shown that, that, the, that children raised in a home with a mother and father have the best chance of fulfillment and completeness in their life and, and understanding of God and all that kind of thing. But that's not always the case, is it? Is it? Some of you in here are single parents raising your children, or you have been single parents raising your children because of whatever happened. Uh, some of you ha- have known what it is to try and raise children on your own. And I suspect that those of you who have, have had to do that would be the first to amen the fact that it is incredibly hard to go it alone, to try and be a parent and raise your children uh, without the influence of a father or a mother, which have, the, the other, the other uh, spouse. That is incredibly difficult uh, to do that. And, 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 you guys, and those of you that are, that are having to do that do an amazing job at that. So it's not always the case, but certainly it, was, it is God's design that a marriage would be this place where children can be reared. Now, sometimes the question is asked, well, how many children should we have, right? Some of y'all have asked me that question. How many children should we have? Well, the short answer is, it's your sanity. You're going to have to decide that for yourself. Uh, seriously. I know that there are some people that believe that they should have as many children as God would possibly allow them to have. And so you have uh, families with 19 kids and counting. And, and, and so, yeah, which, listen, which is fine. It's fine, right? 19. I mean, wouldn't nine? No, no, never mind. Okay. So, you know, so some people are like, well, I'm going to have as many children. Now, listen. On the one hand, God has put into place a biological process through which men and women who are physically able, and, and, and let me say this, when the sin curse entered the world, it brought with it the effects of the sin curse, not only death, but it, but it brought consequences of the sin curse. And part of that, as a result, some, some couples are not able to bear children because of uh, uh, genetic issues or, or physical limitations or, or whatever the case may be. So some couples are not able to, to uh, biologically procreate. For some couples, adoption is an option, a very viable option, considering the fact that there are an estimated 18 million orphans in the world today uh, living on the streets or in an orphanage. But the point is, God's design and desire for marriage is that it would be this environment where children can be raised. But, but how many children should we have? So, uh, well, we should have as many as God allows us to have. Listen, this biological process that God put in place so that if you're physically able uh, to, to, to bear, to have children, 
if you participate in this, in this biological process, depending on how much you participate in this biological process, you are going to have children. Probably you're going to continue to have children until you're physically unable to have children any longer. Okay? So, so all I'm saying is when you say, well, God must have wanted us to have more children because I'm pregnant. Well, you're pregnant because you participated in a biological process that God put in place uh, through which children could come into the world. So that, that's fine. But I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know that you can say that there's some magic number of children that you should have. I do think that, that um, your ability to care for your children, that, that that should work its way into the process of, of determining that in some way. Uh, are, are, we, are we able to support, you know, three kids, six kids, 16 kids? You know, what, you know and I, I'm, not, I'm not negating God, God can provide. I, I'm just saying that I think that there has to be some thought process given to that. But on the other hand, if your reason for not having children is because of the limitations that it will bring to you, or uh, the, the way it might affect your lifestyle, or what you want to do, or hope to do, or your desire for work, uh, you know, and, now, and so you don't, you can only have something. All I'm, all I'm saying is, I'm not sure that if, if my reason for not having children is ultimately because of me, or, or us, or, you know, what we want, or, or don't want, I'm not really sure how that jives with the clear scriptural teaching to put others before ourselves to to serve others, to sacrifice for others. But what I do believe is that if you will pray, intensely and intently pray for God's wisdom and will and direction, if you are physically able to to procreate, or financially able to adopt, if you will pray and ask and seek God's wisdom, I believe that God will direct you in that process and, and as to what size your family will be, and how many children that, that God would have you uh, to bear. But without question, based on God's word, part of the purpose, part of the reason for marriage is, is procreational. Okay? All right. Let's get to the uh, second reason, and we're, this is obviously going to take a little more time. Second reason uh, for marriage is relational. And for this, we'll go back to the Genesis 2 text. And I'm going to kind of break it down and we'll work our way through the text as we go. The reason, a second reason for marriage is relational. And we, we, start, we start first with this. Notice that there is a declaration. All right? Look at verse 18 again. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for, man to, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God makes a declaration, and in the declaration, God says, it is not good for the man, for mankind, to be alone. You and I were not created to be lone rangers. You and I were created for relationship. First and foremost, relationship with God and relationship with others. But here's how marriage kind of applies to that. First, marriage is the greatest illustration of the relationship with God 
the greatest relationship of the relationship with God is the relationship between a husband and a wife. The greatest illustration that you and I will ever see of the relationship that should exist between, between me and God is the relationship that exists between me and Cindy. And the same would be for all, for all couples. That the closeness that should be evident in our relationship as husband and wife illustrates the, the closeness that God desires with you and me that God desires for us to have with him. I don't know if you're sitting out there this morning and if God is just some distant thing to you or God is just some idea or God is just something uh, that you, you, you pray. But, but, but I can tell you this, that God desires so very much more for the relationship between you and him. That, that the closeness, the intimacy that you share with your spouse is, is mirroring, is illustrating this, this closeness that God desires with you. And uh, not only is it the greatest illustration, but I'd say this also, that it is the greatest expression of the relationship between human beings, the marital relationship between a man and a woman. In other words, the greatest expression of how all of us are to each other, the greatest expression of that is between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman in marriage. So in other words, we should be kind to everyone, shouldn't we? Right? But the greatest expression of kindness ought to be to my wife. I mean, certainly the greatest expression of that. We should be patient with everyone, shouldn't we? But the greatest expression of that patience should be to my spouse. We should serve everybody. But the greatest expression of my service should be to my spouse. But you know what I have discovered? I have discovered that oftentimes it is exactly the opposite. I've discovered it in my very own life. Have you discovered that? That sometimes we can be incredibly patient with people, but not as patient with our spouse. We can be incredibly kind, unbelievably kind in giving toward others and not often as much to our spouse. We can serve people till the cows come home. Old expression. But we oftentimes neglect to serve our very own spouse. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Those of you that are not married and and you hope to be someday, this is good stuff. Write this stuff down. Let me tell you why that is. Let me tell you why it often is exactly the opposite of what it should be. First, because it happens because of familiarity. Right? We just, let's just say it. We just take our spouse for granted. Why? Because they're there. We go over there. They're there. Go over there, they're there. Stand here, they're there. Right? They're just there. Listen, and it's not that we mean to be mean. It's just that we're not intentional about not taking them for granted. We become too familiar with this person that we have lived with for five years or 20 years or 50 years or whatever. And so it's easy just to become familiar with them and therefore as a result of that end up not being as nice to them as, as we would to others, not being as kind to them, not serving them as much. Do, did you all know, am I... Am I Anywhere in the ballpark here? Because of familiarity. Let me give you the second reason and, and probably the most uh, cause. It happens because of carnality. It happens because of our own flesh. Because I want what I want. Right? Come on. I, 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 want, it, I, I want what I want. I want to I do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. I want to buy what I want to buy. I wanna... And so our spouse oftentimes will suffer 
because of that. It's because we end up too often times operating in the flesh and not in the spirit. A comic uh, character that uh, my wife loves, uh, Maxine, uh, Maxine has said this. Maxine has said, sure, marriage can be fun some of the time. The problem is you're married all the time, right? We're around each other all the time. And we can get on each other's nerves. Can I get an amen? We can get on each other's nerves. It's okay to say that. And, and as a result of being on each other's nerves, because of, because of being around, because of whatever, we can become irritated. And so we respond in the flesh versus in the spirit, where the spirit has control of us. And so that we're able to be patient. We're able to be kind. We're able to be serving. We're able to be all these things. So it, it happens because of our carnality. So there is this declaration. God has declared it is not good for mankind to be alone. Now, there is an exception, and I'll get to that even at the end or, or next week, one or the other. But without question, the biblical declaration is that it is not good for us to be alone. Now watch this. Watch the second part of it. There is an observation. Watch what happens in verse uh, 19 and 20. Y'all got your Bibles? Uh, y'all must not have heard me. Y'all got your Bibles? <laughs> Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he, uh, the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. Watch this. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. There was not found one like him. You notice, first God makes a declaration. It's not good for mankind to be alone. And then he lets Adam see that it's not good for him to be alone. He brings all these animals by, and he says, hey, Adam, why don't you name all these? And, and Adam does. But in that process, what, what is Adam seeing? What is Adam seeing? Yeah, hey, hey, that, that, that elephant, that don't look anything like me. Giraffe, no, that's aardvark, no, he, he doesn't, he doesn't see. And through that process, Adam realizes that, that what God says is true, that, that there's not one like him. So in that sense, he is alone. There are, yes, there is the animal kingdom. Yes, there is God, and, and he has this relationship with God. But there is not one like him. And Adam needs to see that. So there's this observation. And then third, there is the preparation. Watch this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Not hard, he's a man. Then he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There is this, this preparation process of creating this, this partner for Adam. And I want you to see some of the things that come out of this, this preparation. First, there is equality. As has often been said, if you've ever attended many weddings, I've attended a few in my days, as has often been said at weddings, uh, God did not take from Adam's head, showing the woman's superiority. God did not take from Adam's feet, showing a woman's inferiority, but God took from Adam's side, showing Eve's equality with Adam, that they, that they are equal, that there is equality between them. Now, listen to me. Y'all looking at me? Equality 
does not mean sameness. And that is the problem that our culture has made today. We are unique. Men and women are different in a lot of ways. God designed it that way. God intended it that way. And God has particular and specific purposes for men and for women. So uh, equality does not mean sameness, but men and women are equal before God in his sight. They are equal in, in value. They are equal in worth. They are equal in love. And, and you see that in the fact that God takes from Adam's side. There's equality. Second, there is, you also can see that there is sacrifice. It cost Adam something to have an Eve. Adam had to lose part of himself to gain someone else. Adam had to sacrifice in order to have this one that was like him, to have this, this life partner. It cost Adam to have this relationship with Eve. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the secret to marriage right there. Sacrifice. So, as a matter of fact, it is so much the, the key to marriage that we could just close this whole thing down right now and make this the shortest marriage series in the history of marriage series. Now, I'm not going to do that. But we could do it right there because that is the key that if we can learn to sacrifice for the good of the other person, to, to, to be okay with it costing us something for the good of the other person, that that is the key to successful marriage. The reason we're not going to shut it down at this point is because that also happens to be probably the hardest part about marriage. Especially when we do not see the other person sacrificing for us. Can I get an amen? That was a little too, that was a little, (laughs) we'll get you in trouble, Rocky. But sacrifice, and you can see it in there. You can see what it costs Adam to have an E. It it does. You marry somebody, hey, newsflash, the world does not revolve around you anymore. Uh, Third, uh, unity, unity. I I don't know, I don't know if God just just said, hey, Adam, I took one of your ribs, and that's how I made Eve. I don't know if Adam, you know, counted his ribs uh, pre-surgery and post-surgery. I don't know if God intentionally left a scar so that Adam would always be reminded where his other half came from. But what I do know is that it is crystal clear that Adam knew that Eve came from him. Adam knew it It, when he says these words in verse 23. And he says, this is now, this, Eve. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There's this amazing unity that exists and should exist in the marriage relationship. Again, unity does not mean sameness. Guys, you don't have to wear matching outfits. (laughs) Amen. It's nothing, it's not, we don't like to be associated with a spouse. It's just something about matching outfits is just not right. It doesn't mean you have to wear matching outfits. It doesn't mean that, but listen, you ought to be your spouse's greatest cheerleader. You ought to be your spouse's greatest supporter. You ought to be your spouse's greatest everything that is there for them and thick and thin and no matter what, because you are so together, because, because you're bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, Because there is this unity that exists between us as as husband and wife. You may have different interests. You may have different hobbies. You you may have friends that you hang out with, you know, and and, and all that's fine and and it's good. But between you and your spouse, there should be this unity that exists 
that, that really is incomparable with, with anything else. So uh, there is uh, the preparation. Uh, real quickly, let me get to the separation. Uh, verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. There is a separation. It doesn't mean that we disown our family, our, our, our parents, our, our siblings. It doesn't mean we disown them, right? But there's this clear understanding that the moment that we stand uh, before God and these witnesses and we take these vows, that there is a birth of a new family. And that family takes priority over your other family. Okay? All right? This is a bigger deal than a lot of people realize. And, and more than a few marriages have, have seen rocky times because of one or the other or both's inability to separate from, from parents or, you know, whatever the case may be. There, there is a separation. There is an understanding. I've got, this is my home now. This is my family. This is my priority. And whatever involvement and engagement you have with your extended family ought to be in, in consultation with your spouse and that this is, this is how we're going to do it. This is who we're spending Christmas with this year. This is who we're spending Christmas with this year. And we're staying here this Christmas. And, you, know, you understand, understand what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, and after the separation, there is the consecration. Uh, verse 20, the end of verse 24. Uh, leave his mother and father. Be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It is the setting aside, in the sight of God, it is the setting aside of this man and this woman in, in a marriage relationship. It doesn't mean that you don't have other relationships, but it means that this relationship is different. This relationship is unlike any other relationship that you have. This relationship is consecrated. It is set aside. It is, in a sense, holy, set apart for the purposes of the glory of God because it mirrors and reflects this relationship that we have with God. By the way, do you know that Jesus refers to uh, himself as the, as the groom and his bride, the church, as the bride in Matthew chapter 9, in Matthew chapter 25, and in Revelation chapter 19, three different places he refers to himself as the groom and to his church, his body, the believers, as his bride. Our marriage relationship is set aside to, to reflect that, to be part of that. Now, I need to get to the benefits and, and, and to the exception and all that kind of stuff, but it'll have to wait uh, till next week. I need to, need to stop here. We've just begun to scratch the surface and look at at least two of these reasons. We'll, we'll look at the, the benefits okay, of this, this second reason that we stated this morning. But, but the reason for marriage is procreational, and the reason for marriage is relational. As we go on through this series, hopefully the other subject matter that we will touch will help in our understanding of what that relationship looks like and how that relationship comes together and how do we live together and love each other and not kill each other. How do, how do we actually do this until death do us part? Marriage can be tough at times, but when we take the truth of God's Word and apply it to our lives, marriage can not only survive, it can thrive till death do us part. And be with us next week for part two of our marriage series, Till Death Do Us Part. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. 
Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water. I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.